Yes, this is EM Case's Best Case Ever mini-podcast series, and I'm your host, Dr. Anton Hellman. We're live from Smack Dublin with one of the creators of Smack, Dr. Chris Nixon himself. And for the first time, we have him on EM Cases. You know, normally we have Canada's brightest minds in emergency medicine, but Chris, I understand you've really had nothing to do with Canada your whole life. We're, we're, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, so, well, first of all, Anton, it's uh, great to be talking to you. EM Cases, I've followed it for a long time. I, I remember years ago we met at Essentials as uh, delegates, uh, and so it's been fantastic to see how it's evolved, and I guess we've run these parallel paths uh, into free open access medical education. Uh, from me, I'm a New Zealander. Uh, let me just reiterate that. I'm a New Zealander, but I live in Australia and I'm in Melbourne, trained in emergency medicine and intensive care. I currently work as an intensivist at the Alfred in Melbourne. Awesome. So let's cut to the chase. Chris, tell us your best case ever. One that does stick in my mind uh, was uh, a case where we were called to see if we should put a patient on ECMO. Now, I understand that uh, in your neck of the woods, Anton, um, the idea of crashing hypotensive, shocky patients onto ECMO isn't often an option. That's right. But this one, I think, has lots of lessons in it. So uh, so we got a call about a, a bloke, that's a man, who uh, was in his mid-50s uh, from another hospital. And uh, what had happened was that he just had a hip operation. And within 24 hours of that became very unwell. Difficulty breathing, hypotensive, you know the story. It's a PE. So massive PE, collapsed, had a cardiac arrest, in and out of cardiac arrest. Bit hard to say exactly um, how long they were doing compressions for. But then they got ROSC. Things were stabilizing a bit, but on lots of pressors. So lots of adrenaline or epinephrine. This, of course, was all after they'd thrombolized in cardiac arrest. So they'd done a great job. We thought, yep, we might be able to help out. So um, a couple of, uh, of us went over to um, this hospital to see if we could um, facilitate getting them onto ECMO if it was required. And it actually looked like the patient was starting to settle from the inotropes. They were intubated. Um, things looked like they were settling down. However, before our eyes, things started to get worse again. So we're seeing that the presses are going up, starting to get a bit worried. So we uh, get the old bedside ultrasound out. With the fast scan, I could see that there was, a, a, there was blood in the abdomen. So I was suspecting that related to the CPR, maybe some cracked ribs, maybe a splenic injury. Wow. So, so far you've got a patient with a pretty obvious PE, mm. thrombolized intracardiac arrest, thrombolysis, CPR, the whole works. And now we're, we're maxed out on our, on our pressors and now you discover blood all over the abdomen. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking ECMO is not a good option right now. <laughs> Things are evolving. Uh, but the other key thing was that it was like, okay, we've, so we found one reason for hypotension um, and this patient's obviously very sick. But we continued to look with the ultrasound probe and there wasn't a blown out RV at this stage and the LV looked like it was pumping away. So the heart looked like it was doing its job. So it was then at that point... Um, 
that massive transfusion protocol essentially was initiated. So, and they did a great job at the hospital. They were getting blood products in, but things kept getting worse. And, you know, that's, that's not what I was anticipating. <laughs> you expect to resuscitate patients and see people get better. Sounds like all the right stuff was done. Thrombolysis for the PE, massive transfusion protocol uh, for the uh, intra-abdominal bleed. Uh, but now you're kind of scratching your head, like, wh why are they still hypotensive? Yeah, so w what do you do in that situation? I guess um, my approach is just to go back to square one if I can't think of anything else to do and just go over all the steps again. Absolutely. And part of that was to get the ultrasound machine out again. So, yep, we knew there was blood in the abdomen. But this time, when we stuck it on the heart, it was uh, a real surprise because the heart was cardioplegic. It was just like this quivering thing, globally just not doing much. And... Uh, I was just like, what? <laughs> this isn't part of the game. And what did the RV look like? You know, the patient... Yeah, just still, it, it didn't look particularly blown out. It, certainly, it, I was worried about the alvey when I looked it on because it just clearly had gone from being this, you know, pumping away, good contractility, to now being minimal contractility. Right. So, were, I mean, were you thinking that this was all the, the PE? Well, it didn't make sense yeah. because obviously they had been thrombolized and there were certainly weren't any echo features of PE at right. this point. So okay. I'm going, but bleeding shouldn't cause this either. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, well, has it been a big MI or something? But I don't know, just no nothing seemed to make sense. But then just kept going through the algorithm, basically. So work down, it's like, okay, well, let's run another gas, see where we're at with the hemoglobin, we can check electrolytes, etc. And that was the piece, the key piece of the puzzle because it came back with a, a very low calcium. I think it was something like 0.3 millimoles per liter ionized calcium. Wow. And uh, so what do you do about that? Well, at least I've got something to do now. The team, we uh, started pumping in some IV calcium. And uh, I can't remember what combination of calcium gluconate or calcium chloride we gave. But uh, I remember giving at least sort of three boluses and all of a sudden... The, uh, the adrenaline and noradrenaline that were running at uh, sort of above uh, 50 mics per minute each just melted away. Obviously, there was ongoing uh, uh, hemostatic resuscitation at this point, but then we were down to low-dose inotropes, stuck the probe back on, and this heart is looking like it's doing its job again. Wow. Yeah. Do, you rem do you recall by any chance what the ECG looked like? You know, I mean, I I'm just thinking, again, with the retroscope, you know, could the could have the ECG if you had you know time in there somewhere to get an ECG to give you a clue that this might have been an electrolyte problem? Yeah, we certainly did get get one, and I guess at the time I didn't really you know I didn't get the ruler out and start measuring QT intervals, but it it looked like essentially a sinus uh, a, a sinus tachycardia. Mm. Um, so maybe I should go back and have another closer look at it and see if it did look like a hypocalcemic uh, uh, ECG. But I guess, yeah, it, it was, it's a case that sticks in my mind and I talked to other people about it and it's uh, got some important lessons there. Yeah, so let, let's just review those lessons. Yeah. Um, so you've got essentially a traumatic bleed from CPR and mm. uh, someone who's thrombolized and mm. you're doing all the usual resuscitation. Let, let's just go through the lessons. I guess the first lesson is to go back to basics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
I guess if in doubt, go straight back to the start and just cover all your bases. I think that was an important lesson. I guess any time a patient gets thrombolyzed, they can bleed, and particularly if they get CPR. And we've also seen it in a few cases with mechanical CPR. If it's a prolonged arrest and it's malpositioned, more likely to crack ribs, crack the liver, crack the spleen. So that's really high on my differential these days post-CPR. But the other thing is just that the, you know, there's Occam's razor. You want to look for one thing that explains everything. Yeah. But there's also Hickam's dictum, which means that the patient can have however bloody many diseases as they well want. So Hickam's yeah, dictum, yeah. I like that. <laughs> so that's the, uh, the counter to it. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, the, the very basic one of that is, you know, looking at an X-ray and seeing your distal radius fracture and missing that they have a scaphoid as well or something. Yeah, and we've got to guard against that cognitive bias of, of self-satisficing, don't we? Yeah. You know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, not when multiple things can happen. You know, a keep bird in the, You're a man full <laughs> of awesome one-liners. Well, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I guess it comes from making lots of mistakes and thinking about it and, uh, and realizing what you've done. Uh, but then I guess the other biggie is just how useful, even if you're not an absolute ultrasound guru, ultrasound is when you're looking after critically ill patients because it really helped, helped me recognize that there was a new problem going on that otherwise was hard to distinguish from the original problem. So going from the bleed to the cardioplegia related to the low calcium. And uh, the ultimate lesson is that uh, calcium is the ultimate inotrope. It's, it's real. It, it, you can drop your calcium with massive transfusions, and it really, uh, it really is important for hemodynamic stability. All right. So the lessons are go back to the basics, go through your entire differential, remember that there's that cognitive bias of search satisficing, that calcium can be a serious inotrope, uh, and just to know and, rec and remember that massive transfusions can cause severe hypocalcemia, keep that in your differential. And there's not always just one diagnosis. You yeah, gotta, Hickam's dictum. You got it. Hickam's dictum. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on EM Cases. This uh, smack dub has been the most fantastic experience for me and for the 2,000 other people here. Congratulations on, on your uh, success with SMAC, and uh, I hope to see you next year in uh, some place that uh, is soon to be announced. Yeah, yeah, any minute now. And uh, uh, I can't say whether or not uh, SMAC will be in uh, Canada uh, next year just yet, but uh, uh, hopefully one day regardless. Right on. All right, until next time, take it easy. Cheers, thanks, man. <laughs>